when a baby is born, one of the first things people do is they try to see who the baby looks like. Even when the baby's first born, in a couple of minutes, somebody's trying to look at this baby that has just been hatched. <laughs> this baby, this baby, this baby that has just been delivered. Thank you. This baby that has just been delivered. They're looking at this baby and they're trying to say, "Oh, he looks just like his father. He looks just like his mother." Well, I don't know about you. I don't see how any child in the world could look like me from the get-go. The nose is huge. The chin is huge. And so there's no way that a baby could come out. Oh, he looks just like his dad. There's no way that we could possibly do that because they have. Tiny nose, tiny ears, tiny eyes, but we're trying to say, oh, he looks like your cousin on your father's side. <laughs> and we always have to say, okay, well, he looks like this one, he resembles this, he takes after grandpa, he takes after grandma, and we use that word, he takes after this one. Who do you take after? Here's the thing, when a baby's born, and this is a painful truth, don't be so quick to say, well, he looks like this one, he looks like that one, because not all babies are cute. Right? We're trying to be friendly when we visit a neighbor's kid, but not all babies are cute. I was one, I fell into that category. They needed a forceps to get me out, and so my head was shaped like this for the first three months in my life. Anywhere mom took me, I had to have a hat on, because I was what they called a comb head. All right, so I was not a cute baby. So it wouldn't be a good thing to say, oh, hey, look. as a matter of fact, when my uncle looked at my father, the first thing that was said after I was born was this. Don't worry, John, he'll be okay. That's the first thing. That's the thing that you don't want to hear. Listen, some of us have to morph into cuteness, right? As the child gets older, it's easier to see. He does look like his dad. She looks like her mom. Well, he's got his dad's eyes, but he's got his mother's nose. You know, when I take a look at my son, John, a lot of people say, well, he looks just like your wife, but he's got my eyes and he acts just like me. So he looks like my wife, thank God, and he acts like his dad. And so pray and fast for the child. All right? You get the point. We're talking about who we take after, who we resemble. And when we talk about who we take after, what you know is this, is that it's not just about appearance, right? It's also about how we act and our attitudes when we're talking about who we take after. And again, I would ask you today, who do you take after? You see, with my daughter, she's poorly verbal. A lot of you know that. So when I look at Hannah, she looks just like me. She is the what they call the spitting image of me. If you've ever heard that term, she's the spitting image of me. And so when she gets a look on her face when she's hungry, all right, some people, she needs this, she needs that. No, she needs to eat. How do you know that? Because she's me. I know that because she's one that bears a strong family resemblance to me. So today, as we talk about who we take after, and that's why I put the little picture of the father holding the son's hand. We say he takes after his father, but if you're going to take after your father, it's kind of important for us to identify who's your daddy. We're going to say that we take after someone. And so, whereas a couple of weeks ago we did a topical message, 
And the difference between topical versus verse by verse, well, topical teaching is when you take a topic and you see what the Bible has to say about that topic and you try to be somewhat thorough about that. We try to do more verse by verse, chapter by chapter teachings here, but it's appropriate once in a while to do a topical teaching too. And so that's what we're doing today, a topical teaching. We spent some time on moms a few weeks ago, and Anthony did a great job covering that. Today, we're going to talk about fathers, and this is not an easy subject. It's not an easy subject for many reasons, all right, because we take a look and we say, well, we're told to call God our Father, but you would say, Pastor John, my father wasn't exactly the best example. How can I understand God as a father if my dad wasn't a good example? Well, regardless, what we see is this, is that if you had a really, really great dad, then they help you understand love and sacrifice. They help you, they help you understand your heavenly father. And if you have a poor father model, they create a longing in your heart for something better, something different. So this message today, I think, applies across the board to us, to those of us who had fathers that were never there. Either they left this world too soon, or they just were never there for you. And this message is for you, because there's a God that can fill in that gap. If you're one of those that are in this room and your fathers were kind of in and out of the picture through your life, and this message is for you because there's a father that has never, that has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. For those of you that had fathers that were there but they weren't there, do you know what I mean by that when I say that? They were there but they weren't there? Harry Chapin covered it in a song that went like this. My child arrived just the other day and came into the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. A couple of other verses in the song say, hey, my son turned 10 the other day. Uh, thanks for the fall, Dad. Come on, let's play. Hey, I, I can't do it. And then, uh, then he comes home from college, and he still doesn't have time for his son. And then the last verse of the song said, I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind, son. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kid's got the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. You know that song? You've heard that song? And what is that about, really? It's about the influence that a father has on a child, even when the father isn't there. The father is influencing the child in some way, shape, or form. It's a progression in the song, and what you see is the strength of the influence of a dad. The good models, the bad models, and so we can't emphasize that enough. How important is it? Well, God seems to have revealed himself to us in a father relationship, father-son. He had Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples to pray, teach them to pray, teach them to say, our father. So we can't underestimate, we can't overemphasize the importance of the Father. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, the first mention of the word love, 
That's right, it's between the Father and the Son. It's Genesis 22. Hey, this is Abraham. Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, take him up and sacrifice him. That's the first mention of the word love in the Bible, and it's in the relationship between the Father and his child. In the book of Matthew, after Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3, when Jesus comes up out of the water, God says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John 3.16, it's, it's the first mention of the word love in the book of John. Of the book of John. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And so the relationship, again, between the Father and the Son is emphasized so much in the Word. And it brings us to a major question today. If you're somebody in here that the Bible that, that you call God your Father, my question is this again: Who do we resemble? Because I want you to listen to a verse that we quote in here a lot. It's John one twelve. It says this. It says, "But as many as received him, him being Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name." Now, if you're one in here today, and you've repented of your sins, the privilege, the right to be called a child of God, you have that. You're a child of God. What kind of a resemblance do you bear to your Heavenly Father? You see, when it comes to who we take after, what we're going to see today in today's message is that there are three choices. You have three choices when it boils down to it. When we consider dads and fathers and who we take after uh, regarding our actions, our appearances, and our attitudes. But before we go there, first thing, there are two things that I want to tell you real quick. And one is that you were made to look like your dad. Okay? You were made in your father's image. It's Genesis 1, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there. But in Genesis 1, it says, in verse 26, and no other creature can boast this, but you can, human being. It says here, it says, 126, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Stop right there for a second. When you say, when you hear these words that you've been created in the image of God, have you ever just stopped to think about that for a second? What does it mean for you to be created in the image of God? Well, God's all-powerful. Does that describe you? Not so much. Some of you had trouble rolling out of bed this morning. It was my back. It was my belly. It was my head. It was my hands were swollen. It was whatever it was. And all of a sudden, it didn't take more than you to open up your eyes for you to rule out the idea that you're not all-powerful. So that's not what it means to be created in God's image. But it also says the Bible tells us that he's all-knowing. All-knowing. It means what he knows is going to happen in the past. Present and future. How many of you here know what's going to happen five minutes from now? 
You woke up this morning, how many of you had any idea that there would be 500 cars in this parking lot waiting for you? Anybody? Did anybody know that? No. If you're saying, well, if I was all known, I wouldn't have come today because I knew that there were going to be 500 cars out there and I was going to have to fight to get in the parking lot. So you're not all knowing, so it can't mean that. Rule out all known, rule out all powerful. The Bible also tells us that He's omnipresent, that God is present everywhere. We can't be in two places at one time. We can't even be in Chick-fil-A and McDonald's at the same time. Who would want to be? Of course, it would only be Chick-fil-A. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What does it mean to really be created in the image of God? You see it in the passage. It's about your responsibility and your role and your reflection. And what I mean is this. They're told, be fruitful, multiply. Subdue it. Okay, that's the role that God was given mankind originally. And if we're created in the image of God, well, then we should reflect the character of God. So we're reflections of the character. That's what it means to be created in the image of God, reflecting the character and also fulfilling the role that we were given from the beginning. But it's not hard to see that something went wrong, and that's the second thing that you have to understand. The first thing is that you are made to look like your father. The second thing is that something went wrong. When Satan came along, he appealed to mankind's pride because there's nothing he knew better than pride. He was the worship leader of heaven. And so it was easy for him when he went to the woman to say, Oh, you know, God's holding out on you. Your, quote, father is holding out on you. Do you want a father that holds out on you? No, I don't want that. Here, take of the fruit and eat it. And she looked at it, and it was pleasing to the eyes, and it looked good. And it could give her knowledge. And so that was the fall of man. And now because of that fall, what we have is a cross and a choice. Does that make sense? You're created in the image of God. You're created to look like your father, to represent him, to reflect him. But when you look out at the world, you see things are messed up, and it becomes clear when you look at Scripture and you see that you have the cross of Christ and a choice. And now the question is this, who do you represent? Who do you take after? Because you only have three choices when it comes to fathers as to who you take after. And we're going to see this in our passage today. One of them. We're going to go over to the book of John. And we're going to spend a lot of time in John today. And here's why for Father's Day. Fun fact. The book of Matthew talks about a father 54 times. It mentions the word father. The book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, mentions the word father 18 times. The book of Luke mentions the word Father 36 times. The book of John mentions the word Father. Who wants to guess? What is that? That's so incredibly close that if we're playing The Price is Right, you still would have lost if you went over. But it's 104. Wow. 104. So I think that that's pretty significant. That the Word of God... Remember, there's nothing in God's Word that is not there for a reason, that is not intentional. Matthew, 50 times, Mark, 18 times, Luke, over 30 times, but John, 104 times. It's significant. Here's why. When you look at the Gospels, you look at Matthew, Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is your king. Mark wants you to know that he's a servant. This is so cool. Luke wants you to know that Jesus was a man, 
But John wants you to know that Jesus is God. Right? Matthew King, Mark's servant. Luke, man, John, God. John also wants you to know that God loves you. Your father loves you. And not to have sent his son. And so when we take a look at who we take after, this hit me a couple of weeks ago. I was originally just going to keep going through Mark on this day, but as I was doing a little bit of time in the Word, I came across a passage in John 8. Now John 8, if you're familiar with the uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 8 talks about a prostitute that is brought before Jesus. And she's caught in the middle of her prostitution. And they, she's caught in adultery, and they bring her before Jesus, and they say, okay, well, Moses' law says she should be stoned. What do you say, teacher? And they were saying this to trap him. Do you remember the scene? Jesus is sitting there, and he's on his knees, and he's kind of writing in the sand, kind of giving him no mind. And then he finally gets up, and then he says to them, listen, but he who has no sin cast the first stone. They bolt. They leave. And it's just he and her. He asks her a question. He says, woman, now where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Is there nobody here to condemn you? Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say, listen, just go. Listen, God is love, and I love you, so keep doing what you're doing. Just don't get caught. He doesn't say that. He says, go and sin no more. Now, that's what Jesus tells her. Now, consider this. That if Jesus shows us who God is, and we're going to go here in a minute, then it would just go to show us that if we want to be like our Father, if we want to bear His image, then we need to know His Son. Now here's what you have. When Jesus did stuff like that with this woman, the religious leaders, they were perturbed. They were miffed. They were not happy because they claimed to be the representatives of God. I want to read through something. It's a touch lengthy, but just stay with me, because if you stay with me, you're going to understand where we're going. It says here in John 8, verse 13. So if you would go to John 8, verse 13. And it reads like this. The Pharisees therefore said to Jesus, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not truth. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. Jesus knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. How would that change your life to really know where you came from? That you were someone who was sent from God to do God's work and to do God's will. He says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one, capital O, who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And they said to him, where is your Father? Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Folks, it gets powerful. Listen to this. 
You know, Pharisees, you're claiming to represent God. If you knew him, then you'd know who I was. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury, and he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and I and will die in your sin, for I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he tell himself? Because he said, Where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from beneath. All right, now Jesus is getting a touch more pointed with them, and he's going to go further than this. All right, this is, uh, he says, You are from beneath, I am from above. That's something you don't want someone to say about you. Man, you are from beneath. All right, you are. You're from beneath, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And he spoke these words, many believed him as he spoke them. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. Here we go. You ready for it? We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Listen to what else he says here. And this is where the rubber hits the road again. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Stop right there. Is that powerful? You've got the Pharisees going to Jesus and saying, okay, well, who's your father? He said, hey, listen, if you knew God, you would know who my father was. You would know who I was. And then in their pride, they say, well, we're children of Abraham. Jesus says, no, no, no. There's a difference between being a descendant of Abraham and a child of Abraham. You get the difference? Anybody can be, per se, through Abraham's bloodline, but that does not necessarily mean that they're children of God, that they're children of Abraham. And so if there are three that we can bear resemblance to, if there are three that we can take after, the first one is the father of lies. And that's basically what Jesus goes on to tell them. Because what they say at the end of verse 41 is, they said to him, well, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he who sent me. 
Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father. Now he gets really pointed and very clear. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own Listen, he speaks from his own resources. Isn't that cool? Have you ever seen that before? When he speaks, he speaks from his own resources. What are the resources that you're pulling from? He speaks from his own resources, the father of lies. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. Stop right there. See, the first father that we can take after, the first choice that you have is you can take after the father of lies. There's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what is he looking to steal, kill, and destroy? Every good thing of God. Every good thing of God. And so if there's an influence in your life, and, and this influence, well, you can match it up. You can say, well, this is about theft and murder and destruction, then you know where it's from. How many of you here have lost? Because the enemy took time from you. He stole time because you were doing things your own way. How many of you have lost treasure, wasted talent, Why? Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, have you ever known who Jesus is the hardest on in Scripture? We always say that he's the hardest on the religious leaders, the people that were misrepresenting him, and the demons. Let's add that now to the layer of the teaching a little bit. He's hardest on the demons and on the people that misrepresent him. Why? Because there's nothing to misrepresent Jesus like religion. Fair? There's nothing like a good religious person that doesn't have relationship, but that goes through the rituals, but that claims to be from God, but that has nothing to do from God. There's nothing that upsets God more. He's the father of lies. And the greatest lie is this, is the one who claims to be from God and who claims to be preaching God's word, but corrupts it. Remember, everything about the enemy is a cheap imitation of the things of God. Jesus looks at these guys says, no, it's not for my Father. The more time you spend in the Spirit, the more time you spend with God, you can see what's from God and what's not from God. Is that fair? All right, the discernment gets sharpened in the Bible. In the book, the book of Hebrews tells us this. It says, listen, when you spend time in the Word, you learn to distinguish good from evil. That has everything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you're following the father of lies. Now it's interesting that he's called the father of lies. And I say this. Because that he's the father of lies. That means he has children. God has children. And I want you to think of this for a second. 
Is that Satan loves to go after children of God. He loves it. Hey, you want to get to me? You want to see me take the pastor's hat off for a second? Go after my child. But God, our Father, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. So if there's somebody that is hearing God's word and responds to it joyfully, the enemy, what he wants to do is to discourage you from ever being able to make a representation of the kingdom of God in this world. He's out to corrupt things. That's what he does. We have to be very careful about this in the church when we talk about who we resemble. You do not want to be associated with the father of lies doing the thing that he does. What does he do? He lies. He cheats. He steals. If Christians are doing this, do you know what the Bible says about that? Do you want to know what the Bible says about that? If you're a Christian and you're just going about your way and saying, hey, God's going to have to deal with his behaviors, then let me in a gentle way read something from Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 5. Listen, listen, please. First Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Into this very carefully. In other words, I'm not telling you to not keep company with the sexually immoral, the liars, the thieves out there. You're going to have to. That's part of being in this world, but you're not to be of this world. Listen to what he says next. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not to even eat with such persons. All God's people at that point say, ouch. And it begins to get a little uncomfortable in the room. Say, I don't want to be that person. No, because what he's saying in essence is this. If there's somebody that is calling themselves a brother and they are unrepentantly engaging in these activities, cut them off. But isn't that being judgmental? No, it's not. There's discernment, and then there's judgment. And as Christians in the church, protecting the church that Jesus died for, we're called to have discernment. Now, before you go and address somebody that has those issues, you better take a good hard look in the mirror. Because if you're going to somebody and you're, they're struggling with addiction and you're sitting there and you're, you're saying, well, you know what, you know, you're really struggling with this and here, I'm on a cup of coffee number nine. Okay, not a problem for me. I'm not an addict. I don't have an issue. We need to look in the mirror. We don't want to carry on the behavior of the father of lies. If people were to look at your life right now and they say, who do you take after? That's a category you don't want to fall into. Those are steps, those are, those are footsteps that you don't want to walk in. And Jesus calls them out on that. So that's one father we can take after. But in the passage also, what we see is that we can also take after earthly fathers. And that's who they claim to take after. 
Listen, it says in verse 37 again, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Stop right there. They're saying, we're associated with our earthly father, Abraham. We're not associated with you. Jesus says, listen, I numbered the, the, I numbered the hairs on Abraham's head. I visited him personally before I was born. Try to wrap your mind around that. But Jesus visited Abraham personally before he was born. In the book of Genesis, not once, but a couple of times. Jesus is the one that was on the mountain and said, listen, stay your knife, Abraham. Put your knife down. Do not harm the boy on the same mountain that he would be sacrificed on. No, I know Abraham, Jesus is saying, and you look nothing like him. See, this is another father we can take after, and that's our earthly father. They're claiming to take after our earthly father. They're claiming to do that. They actually look nothing like their earthly father because Abraham looked like the heavenly father. You see the influence. Now, there's a story about Abraham that's very interesting. That Abraham, who's called the father of our faith, well, a couple of times through his walk and through his journey, Abraham actually lied to great kings, telling his wife to say, listen, if we go into their territory, they're going to think that you are my wife and they're going to kill me. So protect me, save a brother, tell them that you're my sister. Abraham did that. But did you know that Isaac also did that? Did you know that Isaac also did it? He did the same thing that Abraham did. Why? Because he can only do what he sees the father doing. And that's the point. If we're going to follow the influence of our earthly fathers, if you're going to take after them, then you have a choice. Take after the good things that they do. Here's the problem. So most of us did not grow up with a Billy Graham or Charles Stanley as a father. Most of us grew up somewhere probably a little bit other than that. But we follow our earthly fathers only as they follow our heavenly fathers. That's why Paul, who was one of the greatest spiritual fathers, said, Listen, you imitate me, but only do it so much as I imitate Christ. Mom was sick, and it was uh, the last couple of days. I'll never forget this. I got up, and I was in the house with Dad, and Dad was doing what he had done every day. Not just when Mom was sick, but he does every day. He was on his knees at the couch, and I took a picture of it. He doesn't know it. But he was sitting there praying, because my father's been a man of prayer. My father also has a raging temper. I've inherited both of these things. And each day I have a choice as to which way I'm going to go. And it's the same with you. It's like we have to take a look and we have to run it through the filter of what behaviors we're going to emulate and what we're going to follow and what we're going to portray for the rest of the world. We're going to follow in our Father's footsteps. We only want to follow, follow in our Father's footsteps as much as they follow Jesus. Listen, the Bible tells us of a man named Solomon. Solomon, when God came to Solomon, who was a young king, and God said, listen, anything you want, what do you want, just ask. Do you remember what Solomon prayed for? He prayed for wisdom. Oh, what a pleasing prayer. We look at that passage and we say, oh, he's just like his dad. And then when Solomon uh, has the... 
the two women before him, and they're arguing over whose baby is, and he threatens to pull out the sword, and he says, okay, I'm going to kill one, and then you can take, you know, you can both kind of split the baby in half. And we say, that's wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. Yes, he takes after his father, David, who was the man after God's own heart. And then when Solomon marries 700 women and takes 300 concubines, he takes after that too. <laughs> All right? He takes after the sexual sin of his father. So we can follow him the examples of our earthly father, but only as far as they go to help us understand our heavenly father. Now, we can follow the father of lies, which nobody wants to do, I hope. Take it, that's why you're here. You don't want to follow the father of lies. You don't want to take after him. You don't want to be associated with him. You can take after your earthly father, but only so far as they follow your heavenly father. But the one that you want to resemble most is the one who loved you enough to send his son to die for you. And that's the third father that we can resemble. And this is our heavenly father. That's the one that we should bear most resemblance to. In John 5, Jesus said, listen, the son can only do what he sees the father doing. Right? And so if you're here and you say, well, I want to resemble my heavenly father, then the first thing that we have to do is, well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to be reconciled to the father. John 14, 6, it's a, it's a verse that you most of you have heard. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except by me. This is so hard for people to accept. It's so exclusive. No, it's really inclusive. For every tribe, every tongue, every nation has this invite. And this is really what our lives are supposed to be about. That's why we started the message by saying, listen, you were made to look like your father. How can we get back to that? I can't just preach the gospel and just go right to sin and say, you're a sinner, you need a savior. You have to first understand what you were created for. That's why we have the whole book. You were created in the image of God. That's the longing in your heart. And so we have to get right with the Father through the Son if we're ever going to bear resemblance to the one that we were made to bear resemblance to. Listen, he doesn't need your money. I'm not telling you not to give. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't need your voice. He doesn't need your athletic prowess. He doesn't need your beauty. All of these things fade, and he needs none of them because he created everything out of nothing. What does he desire? He desires relationship with you. A great way to understand how much the Father wants to be with you. Last December, there was an article that made headlines. And the article was about a father who wanted to spend Christmas with his daughter. There was a problem. She was a flight attendant. And she was scheduled to work Christmas Day. Here's what he did. On Christmas Day, she would be flying all over the United States. Here's what her father did. Her father, whose name was Hal, bought tickets on every single flight his daughter was working on just so he could be with his daughter. On every single flight, he bought a ticket for her. How much did he want you to be his son or his daughter? He sent his only begotten son. That's the gospel. That's the truth. You want to bear resemblance, you have to first receive that. And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean reducing it to just a prayer that we say. I don't mean that at all. I mean something that God wants to do in your life that is truly transformational. That's why he calls you to him, because he wants to change your life. He wants to transform your life. He loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. 
And so many of us are saying, well, I said the prayer, I go to church, I do this, I do that, but you're missing on the, the relationship. How do we know that? So people are looking at you. Are they seeing in you a celebration of that reconciliation made possible through the Son? Is that what they see? Is that what they characterize your life as? Oh, this one, I look at him and this person just, he's oozing Jesus. Even when the world is falling apart. First part starts with reconciliation. If we're going to follow the footsteps of the Heavenly Father, so it's being reconciled with the Father. But there's also a matter of reflecting the Son. You have to reflect the Son. You have to go out there and show them Jesus. And the only way you're going to show them Jesus is if you yourself know Jesus. By knowing Jesus, I mean spending time with him. He's the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Would Jesus do it this way? Would Jesus say it this way? I heard a pastor say recently, and I love it. If you can't put it in Jesus' mouth, it shouldn't come out of yours. If you can't put the thing in Jesus' hand, then don't pick it up. And if it's a place that Jesus wouldn't go, then don't you go there. If it's something he wouldn't listen to, then shut it up. And if it's something he wouldn't watch. Because you're sitting here, and what we're saying is we want to look like our Heavenly Father. We're saying that, but if we're going to look like our Heavenly Father, we have to bear some sort of resemblance to his son. We have to represent him as, as his son did. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I want, I just, I want to show you somebody that does this so beautifully in Scripture. When, when tested in, in every way possible, this man named Stephen, I just want to show you his last words as he's being stoned by the Jewish leaders. It's Acts 7, verse 57. It says that the leaders, they cried out with a loud voice. He exacerbated them so much, they stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does that sound like Jesus? Receive my spirit? Does that sound like him? Check this out. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with the sin. Does that sound like Jesus? Kind of sounds like Jesus to me. And what happens is that as he's done this, it says that he fell asleep. But before that, because he was in obedience and he was reflecting Christ and he was living Christ, what happened was that as he was being stoned, the heavens were opened up and he saw the Son at the right hand of the Father. You want to open up heaven, then you've got to be like the Son. You have to reflect his character. Even when you're pressed, even at the worst of times when you're pressed, and you're sitting here saying, man, it's just impossible. Maybe somebody else could do that, but I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. Jesus says, do I need the Holy Spirit? That Holy Spirit is inside of you. And so the truth is revealed, and you sit here looking at Scripture saying, I can't live this life. It's too hard. It's too much. I can't reflect Jesus like this. I can. I gave you my promises. I put my person inside of you. Go. What thing are you giving power over yourself that's not allowing you to live Jesus out there so that the world isn't seeing it? The world should be able to look at us and see him. 
You work at Walmart, and guess what? Somebody came into Walmart needing to see Jesus. He sent you. You work for the school board. You work at Chick-fil-A. You shine shoes. You're a lawyer. You're, you're a brain surgeon. And God sent you. You're a parent. You. you. Doesn't it boggle your mind that you were chosen to represent Christ? If it doesn't just make you want to get to your face and see. Listen, we talk a lot about serving, especially lately. But the only way you'll ever serve with the right heart is when you are from your face going, Take all that from me. You've given me all that. What do you want from me, Lord? I'm here. Here am I. You see the through line in the early church fathers in the book of Genesis when they're saying, Abraham, here am I. Here am I. Samuel, here am I. So if we're going to take after our heavenly Father, we've got to be reconciled with the Father. We have to reflect the Son, and lastly, we have to receive the Holy Spirit. And receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, that moment that you were saved, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. The moment you repented of your sins, many of you received the Holy Spirit, but in so many, the Holy Spirit has not been unleashed. It's not because you don't have God, because He doesn't have you, Christian. It's not because you don't have God, it's because he doesn't have you. It's not a question of whether he asked me, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, the moment you repented of your sins, he gave you the Holy Spirit. But some of us have been shutting the Holy Spirit up because we've been doing things our way. Listen, check it out. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive all the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that word for upon it means flowing out of you. Right? But some of us are stopped up right now. We're stopped up in unforgiveness. We're stopped up in anger. We're stopped up in fear. We're just stopped up. And because that, the Holy Spirit wants to do something incredible and major and wonderful. And he wants to be unleashed. But we have the tendency to stifle it because we look at the Holy Spirit like an on and off switch. Right now you're in church. It's on. Maybe take a note, maybe say amen, maybe uh, maybe uh, I don't know. You've got the Holy Spirit, and when we're in church, it's on. Well, let me ask you something. Did anybody, when you were driving into the parking lot this morning, want to shut the Holy Spirit off just for a moment to let one of the soccer moms and lacrosse dads tell them how you really felt? Did anybody want to do that this morning so we can shut it on and turn it off? Okay, in the workplace. All right, we go in in the morning. Okay, I did my morning devotions, and I'm feeling good, and I'm feeling full of the Spirit, and I'm on. And now I'm going to turn it off now. All right, because this person is annoying the voter out of me. All right, they're annoying me, and so I'm going to shut it off right now. And so we think we can do that. For some of us, the Holy Spirit, we're going on, we're going off, we're going on, off. For some of us, the Holy Spirit looks like a strobe light. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit. But listen, if you want the Holy Spirit to flow out of you, you want the Holy Spirit to flow out of you, then he has to have you. 
And when you call him Lord, he has to be Lord, not in one area, but in every area. And what he can do is he can turn the worst of your circumstances around. Now, before we end this message and before we go to the table today, I want to read you something that somebody gave to me. Recently, I was at Honey Lake, where we go to minister, up in North Florida. And a lady came to me and says, listen, Mr. I want to tell you a little story about boys and my stepmother. She was six months old, this little boy came to live with his grandparents. Now, before this, you have to understand, the mother was a prostitute on the streets of New York. She owed drug dealers money. They kidnapped the boy to hold him as collateral, but she never returned for him. They gave the baby to two other prostitutes that were acquainted with the mother. Those prostitutes contacted the grandmother who took this little baby in. He was a scrawny, sickly boy with big brown eyes. He had learning challenges, ADHD, because he was born uh, to a mother that was addicted. At 16, he picked up a guitar, and he took off. He played constantly and wrote songs in his mom's bathroom, in his grandma's bathroom. The acoustics were better there. His grandmother brought him to prophetic conferences, Bible studies, worship services. He struggled in life, but managed to make his way to Atlanta, Georgia, and he helped start, helped start a music ministry called The Lion's Den. One day, he sat down, thinking about his past, and he wrote these words. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think they're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased. And I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. His name is Tony Brown. He was the author of the song that we sang earlier today. He's a good, good father. He's the one that we want to take after. He's the one that we want to bear resemblance to. But if you're going through it, my guess is that describes most of the people in this room today. You're going through it. And you're saying, I'm feeling weak. And here's the beautiful thing that he left for you. He came, and on the night that he was going to be betrayed, abandoned, he left us with the Lord's Supper to celebrate together. And the church has been doing this. Since Jesus implemented it. And what we have here is we have the cups of juice. They represent the blood that was shed for you. And we have the wafers that represent the body that was broken for you. And what we're going to do in a couple of moments is we're going to let you come up there. And again, this is for those who have come in here. You confess to your mouth of Christ as Lord. You believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead. This is for you. You're struggling with sin and you're feeling weak, then repent, and it's for you. You have no intention of giving up your sin, then stay in your chair. Please don't come up. The Bible says you'll only drink condemnation on yourself. But that's not what he wants. He doesn't want anyone to miss a meal. So here's what we're going to do in a moment. We're going to pray, 
as we're praying, if there's something you need to confess and get right before God, something that you're holding on to, something that you haven't been able to let go of, just saying, God, I want to let go of this. I don't want to miss anything with you. And what I want you to do is I want you to just take this time and repent. You need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe it's for something you said. Maybe it's for something that you did. And then, after a couple of minutes, when you start feeling you're ready, you make your way up to this table, and you can take a wafer, and you can take a cup, and hold on to it, because here we eat as a family. So let's pray right now.